If your doctor does not ask about your sleep, does not ask about your exercise, does not ask about your nutrition, does not ask about your stress levels before he writes a prescription, then please, anyone listening or watching this, go and find another doctor. Because those factors need to be addressed before the prescription gets rid of Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. Here we get to chat to some of the world's most interesting and influential people about everything to do with physical, mental and spiritual well-being. If you want to make healthy changes and live a better life, you are in the right place. Please don't forget to rate, leave a review and share with everyone who wants to live their best life. And now your host, Nikki Robertson. In this episode, I chat with Dr. Stephen Stavra, or better known as Steve Stabs, about taking responsibility for your health, as well as the art and science of biohacking and the most simple and indeed free steps you can take to improve your health starting today. So Dr. Stephen Stavro, known as Steve Stabs, if I'm not mistaken, on your, your incredible podcast. And since I know since I've learned about it, I think I've listened to a good 60 episodes. <laughs> You'd think I've got wow. nothing else to do in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Um, mm. but yes, I have been soaking up all the information. So thank you so much for joining me on the Reinvent Health Podcast today. Yeah, what a privilege to be here, Nikki, and uh, just want to honor and respect you and value your contribution. And it's for us as people of health optimization to get together and collaborate. I think that's really, really important because there is a sort of collective conscious growing now of people that are taking personal accountability of their health. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to chat about today is, you know, we have to be responsible for our own health. And I mean, I hate to, to bring up COVID, but it has taught a lot of people, shown a lot of people that we do have mm. a locus of control over what goes on with our bodies or it should have landed mm. for many people. So let's dive into firstly, your background, how you got into medicine and further down the line, personal health optimization and biohacking. Cool. Well, let's take a sort of a stratosphere view. Uh, I wear two main hats or three hats. Uh, I've been lecturing in the medicine space for 22 years, uh, lectured over 10,000 medical professionals at least. And so that's the one hat. The other hat is I started as a, a physiotherapist and registered in 1999. I uh, went to medical school at WITS and then found that I was sort of frustrated with the results of physio, decided to do dry needling, find out about acupuncture, yeah. started studying acupuncture, then registered as an acupuncturist in 2001. And then sort of loved Chinese medicine and so became a doctor of Chinese medicine in 2007 after long studies and uh, yeah. joining the Allied Health Professionals Council. And so that's sort of been my journey as a physician and uh, been a really good journey of 23 years and 24 years at the end of this year. So it's it's quite crazy how the years wow. have gone. Yeah. But I found, and this is sort of my big call, uh, people listening out there is often what people used to come into the rooms was they have a huge issue, a medical condition, and then they would put changes in place. And then after three months, they would feel great. And then I'd find them back in a year's time, not taking their medication or not lifestyle changes that may have slipped, whether it's nutrition or sleep or movement. And so I was frustrated that people weren't sustaining their transformation. And that's when I found out about probably biohacking in probably 2015, 2016. The early biohackers were quite radical with chips in their hands and yep. and that. And maybe we want to sort of define biohacking and health yes. optimization, which are interchangeably used. But so it's really about people taking ownership of their health, taking personal sort of accountability of their health to ensure that they can then maintain those changes and live a life of thriving. Because at the end of the day, I think people are too reactive and they're not sort of proactive. And that's yeah. the sort of narrative that we want to change. And so we've been looking at internal and external drivers, what helps people sustain change. And, and that's what we've done. And that's hopefully what the podcast and all our social media channels you know, are doing. We had an incredible last 30 days of reaching a million people have watched a, a video of me in the last 30 days. So we're really getting out there because we want to see the new generation 
beat yeah. the war against chronic disease because we are losing the war against chronic disease, Nikki. Mm -hmm. And I think you know that, I know that, and we've got to do something together. Yeah, and, you know, the mindset for many people is that we'll just go to the doc and get a, an antibiotic or a statin or a, some glucophage and you can carry on doing what you're doing. But, you know, for every pull, there's another pull. And for every pull, you know, it's not – it's a growing understanding that pharmaceuticals are not a long-term solution. You can't live on chemicals. And, you know, I think – thinking about my mom's era where people were very, I mean, medicine was relatively new and um, novel. You know, you could pop a Valium if you felt mm. stressed out. And the side effects and what that's led to down the line has been quite eye-opening and quite horrific. So there is, there does seem to be a dawn of realization, um, you know, that prevention is where it's at, but it takes enormous amount of work and self-awareness, which we're not taught. So it is a challenge, but it is the way the world has to go. So mm. What are you seeing, you know, I, we call it the post-COVID apocalypse. What are you seeing um, in your practice? I'd say maybe over the last two years, but even longer, um, more and more of that mm. is becoming in your mind more and more chronic. Yeah, and uh, this is a great question. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, I've pondered over because I sort of run a neuromusculoskeletal practice with so chronic pain has always been the number one. But recently, uh, the probably the biggest symptom that people have really complained about is fatigue and, and people are mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. And I think that comes from things like anxiety. Uh, people sure. have lack of motivation and apathy. And so mental ill health for me, one of the biggest signs and symptoms of someone who's struggling mentally and emotionally is severe chronic fatigue and, and apathy and lack of motivation. So that's what I'm seeing yeah. a hell of a lot of. Uh, it's what I'm seeing in the corporates with our corporate wellness business, Made to Thrive, the executive coaching that I've been doing for a long time, probably seven years, 2015. That's when I started doing executive coaching and, and sort of morphed it to combine health coaching at the same time. And it's really about people really struggling with energy, uh, with zeal, with zest, with motivation. I often speak about this little acronym TGIM that we've got made to thrive. Thank God it's Monday. And people have been sold a lie. They've been sold this TGIF. Thank God it's Friday and it's weekends and it's rest and it's pleasure and weekends are good and, you know, weeks are bad and holidays are good and uh, terms are bad. So, really trying to change that narrative. And, and I think the narrative can change when people realize their purpose, their calling, who they are, what they bring to this world, what value that they can bring. And that the feelings of satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment are crucially important, if not more important than people feeling happy. And so we sort of got uh, an aversion to the word happiness. Uh, I feel that it's very temporary. People are chasing or pursuing happiness. And we're looking at far greater emotions of satisfaction and contentment. And, yeah. you know, the Stoics had a beautiful word. And I, and I love the Stoics. I study the Stoics from Zeno was actually from my little island called Cyprus, where my folks and my grandparents have all come from. But really to talk about a word called eudaimonia. And eudaimonia is this word that is flourishing. It's contentment, it's fulfillment, it's it's satisfaction. Uh, despite possibly things not going so well, you've got a internal and external um, feelings of flourishing. And so that's what we, we're looking at. And, and I think those are important drivers with regards to people taking personal accountability because People are, they're living in despair next day. They really are struggling with mm -hmm. the rat race of life, the purpose of life, why they do things. And I, I think they do need awareness, like you said, and revelation to break that mold of, you know, why are they on earth here? What is the meaning of life? What are we doing? Uh, where can I add value that's uniquely, you know, attributed to my gifts and my talents? Yeah, I love, I love that so much. So, you know, passion, meaning, and purpose is so critically important for our immune, our immune system. And we talk about mind-body medicine, but I don't think really, you know, we, we give it a cursory thought. If you, I mean, as a practitioner, you yeah. don't, you understand, you understand the vet, how, how potent the mind drives the body. But you know, to get someone to really understand that this is why they're sick, because they're lacking passion, meaning, and purpose in their lives is a reach because 
you know, you get to 45 and someone's sitting in front of you and you say to them, well, what are your passions? And they look at you like, I'm not here for this. I'm here for a diet. (laughs) And it's like, well, this is the crux of the matter is we've got to find what drives us to be well, functional, resilient human beings on this planet. Otherwise it's going to collapse. And I really think this is the core of the problem we're seeing nowadays. Um, So what is your patient profile? I mean, I know you do executive healthcare, so do I. We're looking Mm. at very high-functioning, capable, intelligent human beings who are used to achieving, but they've got Mm. very little, I don't want to say EQ because there's a lot of EQ, but almost attachment to or understanding of their physical mental state. We've lost the plot somewhere. Yeah, no, no. As you're speaking now, I was just thought, because, you know, there's always this SQ social quotient and, you know, IQ, you know, intelligent quotient and EQ. And I just thought maybe we can actually dub the word HQ, you know, yeah. health intelligence. Because I, love I think I think people are, I'm just actually literally, people might be laughing where they're listening, but I've actually just thought of that right now because people are unaware about their health, their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And so, I think that's very low. I mean, people do have, there are a lot of people with significant EQ, but I see health practitioners that unfortunately almost just repeat the same mistakes again and again, and they repeat them. And I ask myself, why are you repeating the same mistakes? And a lot of it is just reactionary. So they feel so sick. They feel so terrible. They take the Western medicine, which have their place. And and I I say to people, Western medicine is brilliant, but it's not everyday use or common use. It's correct use. And and that's crucial. It can save your life. Like cortisone is a brilliant drug. And and cortisone is something that I think can save many people's lives, if not yours. But it's correct use. So they repeat them. They take cortisone. They take antibiotics. But they do nothing in the long term to build up their immunity to prevent this ongoing recurrence. And so that's why they're making the same mistakes. And I think people forget quickly about how bad they felt and and what was going on in their lives. And they carry on along this sort of hamster wheel of taking these Western medicines or being reactive instead of proactive. And so one of the biggest things we do look at is people that are being consistently deliberate with lifestyle changes and habits how how do we make it easier for them to do that? Because if they put those in place, they build up the reserve in those different areas of their lives. And so I think, yeah, that's where we focus on. That's why we like health coaching. That's why yeah. we use health coaches. Although it's such a huge chasm and sort of so indifferent to many people, a health coach, you know, how, you know, what can a health coach teach me? But there are so many important facets to health coaching that we've unpacked both at Made to Thrive and with our corporates that I think are really invaluable in the process of thriving. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, your practice, your business is an integrative, not an integrative, it is an integrative practice, but it's a collaborative mm-hmm. practice where you've got a whole lot of different practitioners collaborating in the best interest of the patient. And if you look at the standard medical model, um, a patient will go to their GP and tell them the story. They'll be referred to a specialist and have to start all again with, over again with the story. And not only does that build up fatigue in the patient, but everyone's mm. working to different ends. And it is very obvious to anybody the patients especially, that they're not getting anywhere. We're not solving a problem. Mm. So, you know, we know being in this industry that a collaborative practice is the way forward. So how do you see that, you know, from personal experience? But, you know, James Maskell is, I mean, his Mm. thing is the collaborative practice is making um, a broader experience of healthcare more available to everybody because you bring down the cost firstly and you give the patient a much richer experience where they can actually heal, not just yeah. go, you know, hamster on the on the wheel day in and day out, year in and year out with the same prescription. So what is your take on the collaborative practice and how do you see that growing? Mm. Oh, fascinating sort of medical paradigm that I think is really open to investigating this country. I think South Africa needs, and, you know, I sit on the South African Society of Integrative Medicine and on the WhatsApp groups and part of that organization, and there's some incredible practitioners that are working together, but they're working from different sort of physical addresses, which 
has its place yeah. and and patients, you know, do get good care because I think at the end of the day, the care is the most important that comes with the practitioner who's willing to incorporate others into managing patients. But I think we really need someone like uh, Dr. Mark Hyman and because – I mean, James has been both on our on our podcast. Yeah. He wrote a brilliant book called The Community Cure that I, I refer to significantly. Yeah. But he's managed to partner with Mark Harmon, who's this international hero who's written so many books, who's yeah. director of Cleveland Clinic, who's who's driving this from being a medical doctor, who's being a specialist physician, who's got a significant amount of reach. And so I, I think if, you know, we probably connect with a lot of specialists and people that have huge names and influence is we're going to look at furthermore specialists incorporating other people into the mix, health coaches, nutritionists, movement specialists, and whether that happens online or whether that happens in a physical address, I think the connections are going to be far greater. And and we've got some good connections, whether they're psychiatrists or they, you know, they, whoever they are, specialist physicians that we both know. And I think we can then have a roundtable with regards to patients and how to look after them. Because I do know from Mark Hyman, he can see eight patients at one time. He puts them in a group. He has a health coach there. He has the nutritionist there. It makes it financially viable Mm. for himself and his team. And then the patients are able to work together and encourage one another. So obviously there's some logistics and sort of legalities around sort of privacy and and medical information. But I do think that's going to be the way forward in terms of specific, unique gifts and talents that specialists bring to the table so that people don't feel that, hang on, I can't afford this but make it more affordable to the average person out there. Yeah, and, you know, the the – so this, the essence of accountability when you work in a group is so powerful and no one really thinks about that from a healthcare perspective. You know, it's your relationship with your doctor. You might see that person once every three months. There's no check-in. There's no buddy system. Mm. I think that is so, yeah. so important just to keep people on track and, and com- not compliant, but, um, you know, partake in an active an, an active role in their, their healing. Uh, so there must be a way, and I'm sure, you know, with practices like yourselves and, and what we're planning on, on sort of doing in the future um, is reaching more people and helping more people help themselves. It's really, really important. Absolutely. And I think we've got to get also, I mean, there's a problem with certified health coaches, you know, the certification, the training. Yeah. and. Now, the people that I've spoken to often, the specialists, they, they're concerned about that it's going to be sort of very contrarian to the way they do their sure. practice and their patients and that. So there's got to be alignment in terms of values yeah. with regards to how doctors want to see their patients work out lifestyle changes. But that's all possible. I think, like you said, it's going to take work. It's going to take energy. It's going to take someone who's got a vision to put this in place and make it more accessible and then make it more effective. Because at the end of the day, we're both looking at patients being able to look year in, year out and ensuring that they sustain their transformation, not yes. short-term. Yes. And as they do that, we know you look after the brain, you look after the heart. You look after the heart, you look after the brain. So sure. many of these lifestyle changes people don't even realize are they might go in for cardiovascular issues and they've had a heart attack or they've seen that they've got sort of you know heart disease, but they don't realize they're looking after their heart, they're looking after their brain and preventing a myriad of other problems. Or they start moving and prevent back problems that they would have you know, had by moving and and helping their heart. So it all works synergistically. Mm. And so I think the future is going to be one of health coaches. The future is going to be one of education, especially the next generation who unfortunately haven't been educated by their parents, I think, correctly. And if I look at the sort of baby boomers, they saw medicine save people's lives. Uh, Before medicine and antibiotics came along, uh, people used to die. Uh, But people that were living had high quality. They didn't get a lot of the chronic diseases. But So medicine saved their lives. They were in awe of it. And whatever the doctor said, they just did. Absolutely. Uh, they just and, and that was the problem is brilliance in as in itself and and I often give this example of antibiotics saved millions of lives. I'm grateful for antibiotics, but wow, destroying millions of lives now by overuse. So cool. it's a double-edged sword, and people have got to realize when they take something as 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 great as the reward is, there's significant risk that they need to be aware of. No, exactly. You know, and you know what it brings to mind is that. 
you know, you do what the doctor says, that um, how the, 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 the specialist was so revered. And what we're looking at now is the need for a super generalist, somebody who understands, as you, you said, all the interconnectedness of these different systems. And, I mean, Chinese medicine is about the interconnectedness of the endocrine system to the gut, to the brain, to the liver, to, to the heart center. And, you know, we can't ignore this anymore. And it, nothing is so frustrating as you go to a GP and your child's got an ear infection and they don't even ask five, you don't spend five minutes asking a question and off you yeah. go with an antibiotic. And no one asks, does this child spend their life in the swimming pool? And, you know, more questions about what they're eating, how much yeah, dairy are they consuming? Yeah. Um, you know, there's so much more to this than just an ear infection. And, oh, yeah, we're absolutely. getting tired of it. So there's, can you elaborate just from the Chinese medicine, the acupuncture point of view, on the interconnectedness of the systems and how we should be really paying attention to that? Yeah, I think it's something that's really, really important. And ancient Chinese medicine doctors used to pay them on a monthly basis to keep you well. As soon as you got sick, you stopped paying them. So... The doctor was really, really concerned about your movement, your exercise, what you were eating, how you were sleeping, your relationships, whether you had a purpose or not. And so it was a model and very much based on vitality. And I think they've got a very good thing going there. I think it is a double-edged sword. I mean, people love or hate vitality, but it's in a model of, you know, the better you, healthier you are, the better you do, the better we do. And I think that is important. I think that's what's really been great about their program. So Chinese medicine does look at the root causes of disease and does look at things that are increasingly important, like sleep, movement, nutrition, relationships. And, you know, I just released a video now, and for those people listening, is that if your doctor does not ask about your sleep, does not ask about your exercise, does not ask about your nutrition, does not ask about your stress levels, before he writes a prescription, then please, anyone listening or watching this, go and find another doctor yeah. because those factors need to be addressed before the prescription gets written. Now, is there time for prescription? Absolutely. Sure. Crucially important. But some of these factors really, really need to be looked at before prescriptions are written. So Chinese medicine, absolutely. I don't think there's enough of us, uh, you know, locally, uh, We've got uh, down in Cape, uh, North, what's it called again, University of Western Cape that does UWC, that does Chinese medicine. I think it's incredible because it looks at patterns and diseases and roots and causes in that. Uh, very, very much sort of herbal-based. Um, we do a lot of injections in the practice to regenerate joints using natural products yeah. and using things like ozone. So a very effective, uh, you know, limited risk has a place. So does homeopathy, so does osteopathy, so does Alexander Technique and Pilates and yoga, a lot of this, and breathwork specialists. I think it, it all works together and you just got to find in your body what moves the needle most. You know, I, I've done a lot of homeopathics over the years initially and I think it's brilliant, but you've got to be a brilliant homeopath to get exactly that product right, where Chinese medicine is a little bit broader. Uh, and so I find that it was quite effective quickly. Yeah, yeah. So let's swing back to biohacking because this is, mm. This is the thing. This is what's really enabling people, whether it's through gadgets and wearables or um, infrared. And I want to talk about all these modalities about you sure. know what fascinates you in your practice about and where you're seeing the biggest improvements, changes, um, shifts mm. taking place. And what is biohacking for someone who has never mm. really heard this term or doesn't understand it? Yeah, good place to start. Uh, biohacking, I would just have another word for his health optimization. But like my wife says, many, what does health optimization mean anyway? But so whether you hear biohacking or health optimization, I think they're pretty uh, similar. Mm. We have a definition. It's the art and science of assessing and adapting your internal environment, which is your body and your external environment in order for you to thrive physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So it's looking at internal and external environments. And external environments is something, you know, that is quite, like I give this analogy often, is we've struggled with sinuses. Thank goodness we've had a lot of rain now. But an external environment is looking at your humidity. And so in our house here in Bryanston, often the humidity is 15 20% in my, in my daughter's rooms. And so it's very dry. So we've got humidifiers and diffusers going with essential oils to keep it at the 45 mm -hmm. to 50%. 
So that would be an example of biohacking with regards to an external environment, whether it's air quality or radiation or humidity. And then an internal environment is what a lot of people do the whole time is they, you know, they step on the scale or they measure their blood pressure and they make changes based on that assessment. And obviously that has progressed to things like the Apple Watch and, you know, aura with sleep data. But really it's about assessing and making changes yeah. based on those assessments and making it personalized where you don't have to necessarily go for a blood test. Is a blood test sure. a form of health optimization? Absolutely, because you get the feedback, you look at it. Patients and the public are really doing their own research and education now, and that's why we really believe in the podcast and the social media channels so that they can educate themselves and then make the necessary changes. So that's really the definition of biohacking. And, and the heart of biohacking that we talk about is to hack through traditional dogma of big food and big pharma because, unfortunately, a lot of these organizations and companies do not have your best interests at heart. They are not benevolent organizations. They don't really care how you do. What they want to do is fulfill shareholders' sort of uh, needs. And so I do say to people that you do have to hack through something. You have to hack through traditional sort of thinking and, and look at a, a way forward that actually benefits you. And, and and COVID is a typical one. We've been talking about vitamin D for 20 years. I've been standing on the, on the yeah. bandwagon. You know, I first lectured on vitamin D in 2006 and everybody thought I was crazy. And we looked at the sort of ranges of 30 to 100 NGs per ml. That was the functional medicine range when I studied and now all of yes. a sudden things have changed. The range is lower. And in the last two years, obviously, with the COVID and the pandemic, everybody's talking about vitamin D. But they don't realize mm. that the ranges have changed. And so yeah. we look at these functional diagnostics and we really got to make sure that we can hack through what's actually going on. I mean, many of these lab tests, the ranges are based on 2017 osteoporosis data. What's going to prevent you from getting osteoporosis? Not what's going to improve your immunity. You know, what's going to help you prevent cancer? And we know that vitamin D being a secosteroid, being a hormone, is crucially important for your immunity, yeah. your overall health, switching on 400 genes about. So measure your vitamin D, make sure that it's in the right range. I think that's up to you to make sure that it's optimal. And these ranges are crucial because you need to make sure they are optimal, not just, you know, sufficient like a lot of, you oh. know, practitioners will look at these ranges. So there's, I mean, there's, Health from a health optimization, what you offer in your practice includes, and I know mm. you're very passionate about infrared. And yeah. know, let's chat a bit more in depth about that and as a healing modality and how you use uh, infrared mm. technology as a healing source. Sure. Look, and I think let's take a step back there and look at sort of a stratosphere view on that. It's really about PBM, which is photobiomodulation. So infrared, red light, a lot of these light devices, uh, they're sort of fit into a group called photobiomodulation. And really what that means is basically light therapy. And so we become, because of our indoor lifestyles, we become uh, red light and infrared light deficient. Mm. And so John Stott, who wrote a brilliant book called Health and Light, yeah. I think it's in the 50s and 60s, somewhere around there, spoke about a condition called malillumination. So people out there, you might have heard of malnutrition, but yes. we have a huge epidemic called malillumination and we're becoming infrared and red light deficient and so as we sit in our cars the windscreen and the window unfortunately block 42 percent of the sunlight of red light and infrared so we do not get that mm -hmm. and then people go to the dermatologist nikki and they say oh the driving side look at the damage on my skin well the damage on your skin is there because the UV is getting through the glass and the red light is not getting through. Mm. That's where the damage comes. And UV has been shown multiple times in research studies to cause oxidative damage. It does. But the sun is so perfect and mm. so created in such a unique way with the different light spectrums that the red and the infrared is protective. Mm. And so we become sun phobics because we believe that it causes all this damage. Now, it's about dose. And that's why I believe in infrared. I believe in infrared saunas. I think it's probably my number one biohacking device. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to get it to a place where it's portable. Like we've got a, a product called the Flex Beam, which is a portable red and infrared device because of the cost of infrared sauna. Yeah. Obviously, getting in front of red, people might have heard of Juve. They might use Juve. We use a company called Sauna Space because it's an incandescent globe of near and mid infrared. And there's a lot of research yeah. that I think is really good. 
when it comes to that. So it's it's about getting the right light. And I think the right light is crucially important for your health. It's crucially important for your mitochondria, which are those energy factory cells in your cells that produce a lot of energy. And not only energy, they are so important for so many functions. And they are light sensitive or photosensitive. And so the complexes and the, the receptor sites on the mitochondrial wall are light sensitive. And so red lights and infrared can really help those mitochondria function correctly. And that just helps all chronic diseases improve. So that's why we believe in it. Mm. Obviously, infrared sauna is huge from a, a sweating perspective. The amount of detox you get is my number one detox uh, program that I give people to try and get to because you you get to use binders yeah. that really help people detox with infrared sauna. Mm. I don't think we're sweating enough. Yeah. I think that's a big change. We, we're not being able to sweat and get rid of a lot of these toxins that are fortunately pernicious in our society. I mean, the average woman, if you're listening out there by your first cup of coffee, has put 168 chemicals on her skin, huh. 168 chemicals. And these are endocrine disruptors. What that means, they are hormonal disruptors that cause a myriad of problems. We're seeing in the last 20 years that millennials are the weakest generation of all time. They've got the lowest testosterone recorded mm. of all time. In the last 20 years, baseline testosterone levels have decreased by 50%, Nikki. It's a huge problem. It's a significant issue. And yeah. women, people don't realize women have got more testosterone in their yeah. body than men's. Yes. And so their testosterone is being unfortunately eroded and they are getting way too many of these xenoestrogens that are causing significant, you know, androgen imbalance. So it's it's a problem and that's why we believe in, in detox. It's a huge part of my practice. It's a huge part of biohacking. And, and I think it's going to be something that people are going to have to adopt in every single household. You know, I said many, many years ago, Bill Gates said there's going to be a computer in every single household. I'm saying in every single household, you're going to need an infrared sauna. Uh, it's going to be that important because of how many chemicals have been, you know, put in this, uh, the system. I think in the last 80 years, there's 50,000 new chemicals that have been put into our environment. The incredible podcast with Stephanie Seneff, who's an MIT. Yes professor uh, on glyphosate and all this toxicity yes. that's out there. And it's it's really problematic. Uh, and she's got the numbers. She's got the numbers on autism, Nikki, what's happened yeah. from the 50s of one in 10,000. Now it's one in 55. So things are going the wrong way. And like I said, we, we're losing the water chronic diseases and we can do things. We can, you know, uh, deal with it. And, and I say to patients and clients, 90% is in your hands. It's epigenetic. That means you decide which genes get expressed. Yes. 10% is, unfortunately, it is what it is. It's genetics, but you've got a 90% chance that you can prevent chronic disease. And so if anyone's listening, it's really mainly up to you. Yeah. You can do it. There is hope. And there are people like yourself, people like myself and my team and your team that can help you along the health journey. Stepping back to the vitamin D and, you know, Vitamin D is cancer protective. It makes it's a precursor to making hormones. And this talks to everything you've just spoken about, about low hormone levels and not being able to cycle through a detox, those inner estrogens out of the body. And yeah, you know, we are, I mean, human beings are meant to be in the sunlight. And you know, I've always said, now of course, you don't want to burn yourself in the sun, but I think it was um a post that you had on on Instagram recently about creating a, a callus, a, sun, a natural sun shield, and vitamin D is the mm. the, the pro hormone or the precursor yeah. to hormones that is generated by sun exposure. Yet we're slapping these chemicals on the body, which is causing the problem. So somehow, and there are plenty of products mm. out there that don't contain the chemicals, yeah. and if you just clever about it. You don't go outside in the midday sun in the middle of yeah, summer sure. and burn. Um, mm. you, you've got to, I mean, the, one of the best tools and many biohackers exactly. speak about it is early morning sun exposure with no glasses on as the sun is rising. It's one of the best times of the day because there's no interference and you're gently yeah. just exposing yourself to one of, you know, nature's most incredible times of day. And, you know, there are plenty of people all over the world listening to the show, but in Africa, where the majority of our audience is, we have a gift of having sunlight for 
two thirds, maybe more of the year. And to not use that is just ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, 95% of people that I test are vitamin D deficient. That's a problem. And it's a huge issue. And people think sunny South Africa or sunny Africa, they're going to get enough sun. But unfortunately, they're not getting it because often they're putting all these mm. SPF factors on them, which is what's needed because they're burning. So they're not doing the morning sunlight. Oh. They're not ensuring that they're limiting seed and vegetable oils. And you know this. This is your game. What it does to, with regards to burning. So they're taking all this canola. They're taking all this sunflower, this palm oil, fructose corn syrup, you know, corn oil, and it's affecting their ability to actually um, limit burning. So you know these things are interrelated, and I think that's why the education you know system needs to change. People like yourself and myself need to get as much as exposure yes. as we can to educate mm. the new generation to say mm. say no to this canola intoxication. Say no to the sunflower oil intoxication. You know, the half-life of these things is two years. That takes eight years. Yeah. You know, it takes eight years to get out your system, out of your cell membranes that it's been incorporated in. So these, these things are fundamental things. And unfortunately, big food has hidden probably about, I think it's 80%. Yeah. If you're at a traditional supermarket, 80% of packaged and processed foods has got these yeah. seed and vegetable oils. And 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 many people think it's far worse than sugar. It's far more pernicious to uh, diabetes. Uh, I was with, uh, I just remember talking to Tim Noakes and having a look at saying, listen, we need the low carbohydrate, yeah. low fat. And the low fat there is these vegetable seed oils, these omega-6 oils that are pernicious yeah. and high fat diet, the good fat. So, you know, I said to him, it should be L-C-L-F-H-F, I said, prop. And we had a good chuckle because people are unaware of these damaging fats, mm. you know, these trans fats, these hydrogenated oils and fats that are causing significant problems. And they are hidden by yeah. big food and in all these delicious, yummy mm. foods. And they are made to be delicious and addictive. And, and, and then, and that's a problem. And and so it's hard. I mean, I've got a six-year-old. How do you do this? Well, there's sometimes she does have crappy food, but we've got to try and limit it as best as we can. We really got to try and educate them as best as we can. Otherwise, our children, uh, our future, our people are going to be extremely sick. And people that will be are not going to be able to, to live out their purpose and their calling and have meaning because they're going to be so sick most of the time. On the subject of seed oils, when people come to me with fatigue and brain fog, when you eliminate the seed oils and you go abundant olive oil and omega-3s, it's the first thing yes. to change. Suddenly there's energy, there's a clear head. And I mean, if that isn't like yeah. convincing enough, uh, you don't feel like you've got yeah. a hangover Absolutely. anymore because this is a toxic soup that we are, yeah, you know, we are drinking, we are in, in, in saturating our bodies in and it is dangerous yeah. it is so dangerous so yeah there's there's always a way around Absolutely. this is not the way humanity was meant to live 100 percent. and you know i've done i think over 500 tests of omega-6 to omega-3 ratio tests and i haven't had a single person in the right range i haven't had a single person in the right range so you know for those biohackers or those people out there who want to test there's yeah. a test for you goes out, you can have a look at all your essential fatty acids from saturated fat, omega-9s, omega-6s, omega-3s. You can have a look exactly what's happening. And I think that is really one of the most important tests from a health optimization and biohacking point of view yeah. that we yeah. do. So back on to the subject of the biohacking, aside from the infrared, what mm. is your next go-to that you see like a huge difference in quality of life for people? Well, I think... I think it's a lot of it is light related and circadian yeah. rhythm related. So obviously we've just spoken about morning sunlight, how important it is to get the right light diet and not be mal-illuminated. And so getting out into the sun without burning, I think that's crucially important. Getting the red light, which is crucially important. And then at night, limiting the blue and green light. So Blue Blocks is a company we've been working with for a long time. Yeah. They do a, sort of a yellow amber lens and then they do a dark sort of red and orange lens. And so that's something that I think is yeah. practical, easy to use. Uh, we've done it uh, with uh, corporates and that. 
it does take a little bit of time to get used to, but they start seeing the data on the aura rings, you know. So a lot of people have sleep checkers. You might have an aura, you might have a whoop, you might have a Garmin. I think it's probably one of the best health tracking devices from Absolutely. a biohacking perspective because it gives you a lot mm. of data. And so, you know, we're talking about interventions, infrared, we're talking about using red glasses, which is really, really cool because I think that re it really yeah. helps your sleep. And and we know some, you know, medical professionals and psychiatrists out there that say all mental disease starts with a change uh, and a detrimental of effect course. on your sleep. So sleep is fundamentally important and that is related to your nutrition, it's related yeah. to when you eat, it's related to what you eat, but it's also related to what light you're consuming mm -hmm. at night. And so, you know, people listening out there, use candles, make your world orange and yellow at night as best as you can use blue blocking glasses and and those people that have clear blue blocking glasses those are fine for the day but they do not stop the green light that has an effect on melatonin and so melatonin your endogenous the melatonin that is released from your own body is crucially important and melatonin is first made in the morning it's made in your eye it's made in the ciliary body of your eye so that's important. Every single cell in your body makes melatonin. It's the master antioxidant, more important than glutathione, who people think is a really important antioxidant, and it is. But you need melatonin. It's the most important. And so how do you make sure? You make sure that your circadian biology, that means your wake-night cycles are, or your day-night cycles and your wake-sleep cycles are correct. If you do that, you optimize health significantly. And I've, I've got some patients whose nutrition is not on point, but their circadian biology is. And so they'll eat at lunch and they won't eat again. And their numbers on their blood tests, on their aura uh, are incredible, are really, really good. So with a bit of a fasting circadian rhythm, they are able to detox a lot of the things that they eat that they shouldn't. They're able to give some gut rest and their numbers are good. So, uh, you know, if you had to push me into a corner, do I think circadian uh, rhythm and malillumination is more detrimental than, you know, malnutrition, not re eating the whole mm -hmm. thing? I'd probably say yes. You know, I'd probably say yes, but, uh, you know, and that's where people are going to find the biggest bleeding points. Of course, if you're eating a sad, you know, the standard American diet and it's really trash, well, that's going to be more problematic. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, that's where personal health optimization and, and assessing. So, you know, my number one uh, device for people from an assessment point is either the WHOOP or the Aura because I think it gives people significant feedback. And I say to people, save on that first, before you want to go and buy mm. expensive lights or you want yeah. to go and buy expensive supplements, or I think that that piece of yeah, device no, is crucially important. Mm. And you know, it's yeah. so it's so helpful, you know. And then I mean, people don't realize that you, you know, you eat up and you go for a 10-minute walk. There's a recent paper that was released, mm. how important that is for your sleep. But you start seeing that feedback on the data that you get on the ring. So yeah, there's a lot there. I've been using my aura ring for about two years now, and it's completely changed what I do at night. I can't eat. I mean, I very seldom eat dinner anymore because I see what it does to my sleep. I, I can't yeah. drink yeah. any alcohol anymore because yeah, yeah, exactly. it's there. It's very, very obvious. Um, so, I mean, the message is yeah. go to bed early, get up early and look at the sun and you'll be so much yeah. better off. I mean, if that's all you can do, do that, that's you know. 100%. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff next is free. You know, I think people think it's it's got to be so expensive, but, you know, you know, walking barefoot and grounding really helps your numbers. You know, getting outside in the sun helps your numbers. You know, not buying sunglasses helps your numbers. Um, so, yeah, I, I think people have this sort of you know big picture that it's got to be so expensive it doesn't yes is there a role for supplements absolutely is there a role for you know good wholesome food that you've got to spend a bit more money absolutely but there's a role for a lot of other things you know walking free you know hippocrates the father of medicine you know he said man's best medicine you know, is walking and, and what that can do in terms of people's health. And people take that for granted. You know, I say to people, when it comes to movement, our movement pillar, it's better to get like 12,000, 14,000 steps a day than sitting in the gym for an hour. It's that is that important. So, yeah, I think it doesn't have to be so pricey and so 
costly oh, and sure. so unavailable or unaffordable to people out there. You know, our children, like, get them out into the dirt, get them to hug dogs, you know, get them to help go to the sea and put their feet in the sea and the beach. And that's so good for their microbiome and get them into the sun, which helps their, you know, their microbiome, the, the bacteria, the fungi, the protozoa, uh, everything that we host in our, in our bodies. So, I think, yeah, it's an important message for people to understand. Yes, the red lights have their place, pretty expensive. You know, I think there's a place for that. But a lot of the stuff is affordable. You know, those that have got a sleep tracking device, I think that's important. I mean, some yeah. people have got a basic Fitbit that can, you know, a lot of these devices, even the Aura, I don't think they're that accurate. Sure. And there's a difference between accuracy and precision. So a device that makes the same mistake is really what you want. You know, we spoke about the body composition and that we want to set trends. We want to see where they're at. Yeah. And, and I think they give us feedback. You know, even with the Aura Ring, I'm not looking at my Aura data every day like I used to. It's twice a week looking at trends, you know. So I've got Aura data for two and a half years. Incredible. But I'm going also on subjective sort of feelings. How do I feel? So let's just, you know, while we're on the subject of sleep and circadian rhythms, you've done a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, posts on coffee. And coffee is it's a biohacking tool in and of itself and probably the most prolific stimulant and drug that people use to biohack their energy. So what are your thoughts on coffee? How much should we be having? When should we be cutting it off to optimize our, our rhythms? Coffee is something that is, you know, we, we do the snip and see if you are a fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer for some people that are concerned about coffee. A lot of people can tell you whether they metabolize it quickly or slowly. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's a very unique thing. If someone's got gut distress, caffeine and the coffee can cause significant problems. Then there's the idea mm. of, you know, dairy. Our dairy, unfortunately, is not great. It's one of the things, unfortunately, that I, or fortunately, should I say, it's sort of I let my hair down a little bit with dairy, but I can't have too much of it. And, you know, those are the things that you've got to make a call is where you're going to let your hair down. So, I mean, I'm, it's very long-winded, this answer, because I don't think people want to hear, okay, well, you know, Dr. Stav says take three or four cups and that's it. You know, if it causes jitters and it affects your sleep and it affects your gut, well, you know, yeah. listen to your body. If it affects your, your aura dad, listen to your body. But I find it very beneficial in the morning with my exercise. Uh, if I can do it black, I, I, I do. If I don't do it black, then I'll try and use – uh, something like a macadamia milk, not the traditional ones out there that have got omega-6 oils that have got some real bad stuff. But there are some coffee shops that actually take real macadamias and they like liquidize them and crush them with water, which is absolutely incredible. So yeah, there, there's the case of two, three, you know, I would say four cups is probably a max for most people. And I, I would say this to, to anyone listening out there, try yeah. and have it after two o'clock because even if you think it does, doesn't affect your sleep, I think it does. Even if you're a fast metabolizer and you think it's out your system. You know, I've got some young bucks in, in our house, my son and, and family. I can say I can take uh, coffee at 11 o'clock at night. And I'm saying to them, wow. you might not feel okay. it, but it's having a huge effect on their system. So anyone listening out there, I think the number one important thing is if you can get organic coffee. Uh, I'm a big Woolies fan because I think the organic coffee is really good. There's fair trade and there's single origin coffees, but I think mold and mycotoxins. I just did a, a um, podcast with the guys from Four Sigmatic. I think that's also a pretty good brand. There's some good ones there that have gone through some testing on whether it's organic or not because I think the mold and the mycotoxins can cause significant issues. So try go organic. I, I think for most people, two, three cups. Be careful of dairy. Uh, even if people are not dairy intolerant, our dairy is not healthy. Try and limit dairy. I just don't think it's it's good for most people. You know, I think some people can get away with it, but for most people. So that's my view on on coffee. I think from a performance perspective, you know, having run 11 comrades, it really helps my performance. It really makes a big difference to to my running. So, you know, whether you take a couple of sort of coffee, like espressos before you go, I think that's, that's, that's helpful as long as you don't see or feel the side effects. Yeah. So I was one of those people who thought I could drink coffee and go to bed. And with the aura ring, you can see there's just no deep sleep. At most, you get about 12 minutes of deep sleep, which is ridiculous. Um, you might be yeah. like your eyes are closed 
Um, but you're not sleeping. You're not going into that you know brain cleansing phase of deep sleep, which is actually the whole point. And while you're talking about four sigmatic is what I found is if you take yeah. some lion's mane with your coffee, mm. you need less. So you find that two cups of coffee is actually hitting the spot that you've got that um, awareness and the yeah. focus, but the calm focus, not True. that adrenal push. Yeah. And you just find you need less of the stimulant. So there's there's yeah. definitely a synergy with the medicinal mushroom. Mm. Um, and people need to find their, their mushroom of choice. There's so many out okay. there. And just and that's another hack, you know, just to see if if you're if you're taking the coffee because you need to wake up in the morning. Yeah. Maybe you should be looking at why you're not sleeping properly to begin with. Correct. But look, and once again, it's got there's so much research on preventing liver yeah. cancer. You know, Deepak Chopra's brother called Sanjeev wrote a book, The Big Five, and one of them was coffee, and he hardly saw people having liver toxicity wow. or liver cancer that had four cups of coffee. So I think the, the research is robust that it is beneficial. It's just we got to know the motive behind it, you know. Are you taking it just to survive or are you actually taking oh. it to thrive? And so one of the big questions we ask regarding food or anything people take is why do you eat? And people say, oh, because I'm hungry. But are you eating to survive yes. or are you eating to thrive? And, you know, when you look at the next thing, are you eating that you know, whatever that fifth cookie for survival or for thriving. And so I think that's an important internal sort of question for people to to ask themselves. That's a really good thing to think about. I always say to people, is is what you're eating taking you towards or away from where you want to be in life? Yeah. It's just yeah. that simple. Um, yeah. And yeah, when people start eating healthier, they feel better for it. They get the same reward mechanism for eating a healthy um, meal that isn't going to make them feel sick in the long term. So we are heading up to an hour and I don't want to keep you waiting because you have a family. Um, this has been absolutely yeah. wonderful and we could we could probably chat for another hour solid because we haven't mm. even touched the surface mm. of, of what biohacking means and where it's going. So Steve, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, pleasure, Nikki. What a privilege. Thank you. And I can't wait to get this out there and getting people to, to think differently and take some responsibility for their own longevity, health, happiness, and and just well-being in the long term. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And to everyone listening out there, there is hope. doesn't matter where you are. It's one incremental step. It doesn't have to feel overwhelming. You know, people look at it and say, oh, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's doing that, he's got this on point. How do we start? We start one step at a time. So anyone out there, start just move a little bit more, you know, whether it's you, you're sitting on 3,000 steps, start to go to four, yeah. start to go to five. You you want to, you can only have five minutes of your, you know, morning sunlight, start with five minutes, you know, start with three minutes of your feet on the ground. Yeah. I, I think we've got to break it down next. We've got yeah. to distill it. We've got to make it a little bit more simpler so that people feel that there's hope. Otherwise, you know, people look at this thing and say, ah, it's not for me. There's no ways I can do it all. Well, you don't have to do it yeah. all. Just start with a small incremental step. So I thank you for reInvent Health. I think you guys are doing amazing work. So I look forward to collaborating with you. We need more people like you. Um, we need media out there. We need another story, another narrative. And I think the new generation, at least what I what I do like is they're the ones who comment on Instagram and LinkedIn yes. and TikTok. You know, some of our, our most viral videos went viral on TikTok. Wow. So they are... They are on their devices, the, the good and the bad and the ugly. We've got to find them where they're going to be. We can't just say, oh, well, they're there. We're not going to be there. Yeah. We've got to meet them there and try and sort of then put boundaries around this sort of digital uh, sort of revolution that, we, that we're on. So, yeah, I, I think people just got to look at there's a lot of hope out there. There's a lot of hope. And start with what you've got. Exactly, exactly. Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the reInvent Health podcast. As usual, all of my guests' details can be found in the show notes page on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate on Apple and leave a review.